0: All right, so good morning. So for a month now, we have been going through this study on the book of Isaiah. It's going to take us up until Advent, and uh, we're not covering all 66 chapters of the book, obviously, but we are looking at very key passages that... Um, show us the story beneath the story, and that's what we're calling the series, the story beneath the story. And what we mean by that is that in Scripture, there's one, there's one story, one overarching story of redemption in Scripture. And there are also these sub-stories that kind of support that. Um, and so we're looking at the story of Isaiah and how he propels this story of redemption forward. And just as a a couple things, uh, Isaiah lived uh, 700 years before Jesus. He lived at a time when there were two kingdoms. There was the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. He's in Judah, uh, and he's speaking out against the idolatry that he's seeing around him. And what's also amazing about the book of Isaiah is that there there are two time perspectives within the book. So again, 66 chapters, the first 39 chapters, Isaiah is speaking to his contemporaries, those people he's living around. Verse 40 until the end of the book, he's speaking ahead. He's speaking to the exiled Israel living in Babylonian captivity, which is amazing. The the, the word the the word of God, how it works this way. He's speaking to exiles who aren't in exile yet. And it's within that Portion of Isaiah that we find our passage this morning uh, from chapter fifty. Isaiah is speaking this. We actually hear the servant of the Lord speaking in Isaiah fifty, and again he's speaking to a people of God who are in who are in exile, who are feeling abandoned by God, who are feeling left out, cast aside, forgotten, abandoned. But he's speaking a word of hope, and that's what we're going to really look at. In our passage, he's speaking to exiles, but he's speaking a word of hope to them. And so, for you, again, you might be feeling like you're in exile this morning. And so, let's, let's do listen uh, to this. You might not, but you might. And so, this really is a word of hope uh, for us. The last two weeks, we've, we've um, just as one more point of introduction, the last two weeks, we've been listening to this servant. We identify him as Jesus, but uh, at the time, they're looking ahead to this Christ event. Chapter 42 is the first time we hear him speak. Chapter 49 is the second time we hear him speak. We'll hear him today in chapter 50, and then next week we'll hear him in chapter 53. But what's interesting is that the first two times that we hear the servant speak, immediately when he's done, there's this song that's sung. There's like this burst just this eruption into singing the first two times 42 and 49 but guess what in chapter 50 there's no singing the servant will speak and usually you'll hear a song at the end of it this kind of just again this exaltation that follows it but that's not happening that doesn't happen in today's passage there's something different a little more somber and we'll get there um but i just wanted to kind of Have that as sort of the back of your mind as as we're going through this passage. Um let me go ahead enough of like intro. Let me go ahead and read it. Um and then I'll pray for us again and then and then we'll jump right in. There's a lot to cover. Um so uh if you are willing and able, if you could please stand. For the reading of God's word, this is Isaiah fifty, verses four through eleven. Hear now the, the the word of the Lord. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught. That I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear. I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to pull, to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. But the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint. And I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let's stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of a servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all of you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you've kindled this you have for my hand, you shall lie down in torment. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. It was uh, maybe my second or third year teaching. I used to be a high school teacher, and it was my second or third year teaching, and... This was back in Virginia, and the way this, the layout of the school worked is that all the teachers of the different departments shared an office space, and then we would just be dispersed out to our different classrooms. And it was kind of weird. I mean, there were 12 of us in the history department, and we're just kind of crammed in uh, this little space, and then we would kind of flee to the, our classrooms. But it was really cool. In between the services, I mean, in between the services, <laughs> in between the class, in the classes, we'd go in and, like, cry and, like, support each other, and then we'd go back out. But it would happen quite a bit that we would forget something in the classroom, in the office, and so we'd be in the classroom teaching and then have to run back. and In this particular day, I remember it very vividly, and you'll hear, you'll understand why. Um, it was a freshman class; it was World History Part One class, and um, I was beginning the lesson, and then I realized that I left a stack of papers back in my office, so I got them started on something. I ran to my office, grabbed the papers, came back. I was gone maybe 90 seconds. I walked back into the classroom. Are you nervous? (laughs) Because I was kind of nervous. I walked back into the classroom, and this is what I saw. Every student of my 28 or 30 students, whatever it was, they had turned each desk in the classroom backwards. They were facing the back wall. I walked back in, again, Maybe a minute and a half, I was gone. I walked back in the classroom carrying the stack of papers, and every, even the desks that didn't have a student in them, they had turned that around also and facing the back wall. And the most amazing thing is that they were quietly doing their work. <laughs> <laughs> quietly doing their work. But it was but it, like no giggling, no laughter, just, just doing their work, facing the back wall with their backs turned to me. It was an incredible experience. And I'm thinking back on it, just the planning to execute something like that that must have been in the works for a while and I still don't know who was the ringleader in that but but let's just freeze right there if we could with that image in your mind a teacher standing at the front of the classroom chalkboard yes back in the chalkboard days lectern standing there holding a, a stack of papers and the entire class backs turned to the teacher Faces turned towards the back wall. Do you have it? Because that is the picture we are to see in our minds when we read Isaiah. That's it. And, and actually, I think that's the picture that we can read that we can have in our minds when we read most of the Old Testament, right? Sin entered the world through our first parents. When they turned their backs on God, disobeying God, when they ate from the fruit of the tree, they listened to the voice of the serpent instead of the voice of of their God and through the old Old Testament, the reading the the, the history of Israel, we see time and time again God entering the classroom with his students, Israel. He's desiring to instruct them on how to live in relationship with him, to live a holy life, a fulfilling life, a life that honors him for their good, for his glory. And yet, time and time again he walks into the classroom only to find that the nation has turned their backs to him. It's kind of hard. To have a conversation with someone when their back is turned to you, right? Maybe a more up-to-date version of this would be trying to talk to someone when they're on their, when they're playing on their phones, and you're staring at the top of their head. It's hard to have a conversation with someone when their attention is not given to you. It's like, it's like coming up to someone and saying, I have something that you would benefit from hearing, it's not just because I want to hear myself talk, but this is actually something that you would benefit from hearing from me. And yet, your back is turned to me. Yet, your attention is given someplace else. And you read the story of God's people in the Bible, and over again, over and over again, we see this. And it's and it's not just corporate Israel we're talking about. It's not just the nation, but it's also individuals as well. I mean, you read about the heroes of the faith, right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. Um, Saul, David, Solomon, Peter, James, John, just go down the list and they've all at one time or another or many times have turned their backs on God, have disobeyed God. So what I'm wanting to do with by saying all these things is to present a, a contrast here. And to, I want you to kind of hold that as we now turn to our passage, that we see corporate Israel, but also individuals within the nation of Israel, consistently, constantly turning their backs on God, but let's contrast that now to the servant, who is the only one who doesn't turn his back. The God of the Bible is a God who speaks, he desires that people listen, but they won't. And so Isaiah cries out over and over again in his book, "Uh, Israel, you have ears, but you can't hear. You have eyes, but you can't. See. And yet, we contrast that here with the servant, the servant who does all that Israel, because of their calloused hearts, will not do. So let's look at verse 4 together, if we can. Got that nice. Okay. Verse 4. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught. And again, this is the servant, this is Jesus speaking in Isaiah. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. I just want to stop right there. One thing to pay attention to right here at the very beginning, right off the bat. Maybe you, picked, maybe you heard this when I was reading the whole passage. This phrase, the Lord God, it's used four times in this passage. And Rule number one when you're studying scripture is pay attention to repeated words, repeated phrases. They don't have bold and italics and like big raising the font or anything like that, the way the writers would show emphasis is to repeat things. The servant is speaking, and four times he repeats this phrase, the Lord God, because what he's wanting to do is emphasize that which commands his attention, or who, right, who commands his attention. It's through the repetition of this phrase that we learn that the servant is unquestionably aware of his calling. He's being commissioned by God for a very specific thing for something that no one else in all of history can do. And the way that the word Lord is being used, I need to bring that to your attention also, and I'll I'll be brief with this, but sometimes, I don't know if you've noticed this, but sometimes in the Old Testament you see the word Lord written in all caps, sometimes only written with just the capital L. What's that about? Those are two different Hebrew words. All caps refers to Yahweh. The creator, the sustainer, the ruler, the, the, um, all the omnis, omniscient, om, omnipresent. That's Yahweh. That is the Lord, capitals, all capitals. Then you have sometimes Lord, like in our passage with just the capital L, usually referring to the Hebrew word Adonai, which is a um, like a title or a rank. It, it's to show a difference of position. You are here. I am here. And so when we when we see in this passage... The Lord God, it's Adonai Yahweh. It is the Lord God, the teacher. I am the student. So again, morning by morning, the verse continues, he awakens, he awakens my ear to hear as a student, as those who are taught. And we see the servant's devotion morning by morning, daily. There's this rhythm. He's awakened to listen to His master's teaching, he's being shaped and molded, equipped and instructed by the Lord God. Real quick, Luke 2, we read about Jesus being in the temple. Much to his parents, sometimes frustration, I guess, I don't know. But he's he's in a temple. Luke 2 goes on to say that he was growing in wisdom and stature. God and, and other men, he was growing in favor of them. Now, if I stop real quick, you may be asking the question in your mind, as I was this week. Okay, so this is Jesus, second person of the Trinity. He's God, and yet he has to learn things. Is anyone thinking that, or is that just me? Maybe it was just me. Maybe you're thinking that. And I don't want to spend too much time on this. It's been highly debated since 451 A.D., the Council of Chalcedon, so I'm not, we're not going to just land this plane uh, right, right now, but... I do want to say that what we do, I mean, this is the mystery of the Christian faith. God is totally 100% God, so yes, but he's also 100% man. So have a great Sunday. <laughs> we, have to, we have to just enter into that tension and, and trust that, he, I mean, he was being instructed uh, and he was obedient to the Lord's teaching and no one else in all of history has, has, has done that. One person, two natures, the servant. Now you would think, let's move on. So you'd think that because of his obedience, he would be, he would be rewarded. Good job. Here, here is your reward. But let's look at what happens. Verse 6. I gave my back to those who strike, my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. There's a nice poetic play. And by the way. If you were to go back through this passage, I, I found 12 poetic parallels in this one passage. And if you are a of the literature type and you kind of dig that stuff, dive into this and just see how this word is a playoff of that word and this word and how f- verse 4 matches secretly, not secretly, but matches with another verse later on and how it kind of bookends it. I mean, it's, it's fascinating. It's the word of God. It's fascinating. But there's a play right here I just want to mention with, this, uh, with his back. The servant does not turn his back on the Lord. Doesn't turn his back on the Lord, but instead willingly gives his back to those who strike him. And in chapter 53 next week, we'll find out a little bit more of why he had to suffer. But for now, in this passage, we can clearly see that having an open ear to the teaching... That's a nice sound. That having an open ear to the teaching of the Lord God means to be obedient to the Lord... And being obedient to the Lord puts us at odds with the world. That's where we kind of need to sit with this for a little bit. Listening to the Lord, being obedient, means for us to be at odds with the world. And here you see the servant willingly submitting to the violence that he endured, the disgrace, the spitting. All of this was due to his obedience to the word of God. The servant is a faithful sufferer. He's a faithful listener, the first part. He's also a faithful sufferer. It doesn't seem right, though. We live in a system that rewards obedience and punishes disobedience. My my daughters play soccer. Can you imagine next Saturday going to the soccer field and their coaches yelling and screaming angrily at them for playing well, for working as a team, for passing, and spreading out a little bit on the field rather than being one clump going around the <laughs> spread out. <laughs> but can you imagine the coaches sitting on the sidelines yelling angrily at them for doing well, but then praising them for getting fouls and being off sides and messing up? Whatever it doesn't, it doesn't compute. It doesn't make sense our minds. So there must be something when we, when we read this, there must be something else going on in the passage that we're not seeing. And at verse 7, it begins to open up a little bit for us. Not all the way, but uh, again, chapter 53, we'll see more of this. But verse 7, we see one of these hinge statements where this pivot point in the passage, and you can, you can feel things kind of shifting. Verse 7, but the Lord God helps me. He's obedient to hear. He's obedient in his suffering, but the Lord God helps me. Beginning of verse 8 He who vindicates me or declares me innocent, he who vindicates me is near. The Lord helps, he vindicates, and he's near. We haven't sensed that yet in the passage, but here it is. We now see the servant as a faithful believer, faithful listener faithful sufferer, but also a faithful believer. He believes and trusts that the Lord God is near, declaring him innocent and helping him. Contrast that real quick with God's people, with us. But back in Isaiah, remember, this is a people who are in exile, feeling abandoned, feeling forgotten and cast aside by God. They don't see their exile as a necessary piece in their redemption. They see it instead as an, as an abandonment, being forgotten by God. But the servant's knowledge that the Lord God is, in fact, close and helping him changes everything. How does the servant respond? He sets his face like a flint, which is. A poetic way of saying, he is standing on this firm determination and firm knowledge that the Lord God is close and is helping him. He's standing firm. He's setting his face like flint. He knows that he will not be put to shame. He knows that he has not been disgraced. And therefore, he is able to say to his adversary, bring it. I know who I am. I know that I have been declared innocent. I know that my Lord God is close to me. I know that He helps me. Therefore, bring it. Adversary, Satan, my flesh, the world, bring it on. The Lord helps me. Who will accuse me? Who declares me guilty? We see this in verses 8 and 9. It's the Lord who declares me innocent. Who, therefore, can can call me guilty? We just read in Romans 8. Who will stand against Christ? If the Lord is for us, who can be against us? And the answer here is no one. Even those who try, as the passage goes on, even those who try will wear out like a garment. A garment eaten up by moths. By the way, that's another one of those parallels. He speaks to those just to sustain the weary Verse 4, and then you see, yeah, but those are going to be worn out. Uh, this is just another one of those cool parallels. Sorry to nerd out there for you for just a second, but it's just, they're all over the place. So let me now, now that we've, we've kind of done this study, let me just pause and ask you this question What direction is your desk facing? What direction is your desk facing? I began this sermon with that picture of me walking back into my classroom, only to find the entire class with their desks turned, facing the back wall with their backs faced to me. And let me now tell you how that story ends. Uh, and I have to give myself credit because I think this was pretty awesome what I did. Um <laughs> I walked back in the classroom. I stood there for a moment, sort of taking in what had happened, checking to make sure I was in the right classroom and all that. And then, without saying a word, I walked to the back of the classroom. I handed out the papers, totally straight-faced, and just continued with the lesson. Total, they did not expect that at all. I turned the, tab- or turned the desks on them. Did you get that pun? Because I, I actually worked a long time on that to turn the tables, but the desks were turning, whatever. But I walked to the back of the classroom, which I guess is now the front of the classroom, and I just continued on my lesson. But I think there is something in that, okay? And, and here's, here's what I want us to see. The Bible teaches, and we believe, that we are all born, every human being throughout the ages, we are all born with our desks facing the back wall, so to speak. Born not listening to the instruction of the Lord, and not just not listening as in like we're ignore we hear it but we're ignoring it. Yeah, that's the Lord God speaking. That's Yahweh, the, the sovereign creator of all things, but I'm just going to ignore it. No, we're dead spiritually. Ephesians 2. We are we're dead. We're not hearing anything. We're not choosing to be in rebellion. We're born in it, swimming in it. But here's the beautiful thing. In love, in grace, in mercy, what does God do? He doesn't stand at the front of the classroom and tap his pen on the lectern to try to get people's attention and just stand there waiting for us to like I don't know, give in eventually and turn our desks around. What does God do? He goes to us. He enters in to our mess. He enters in, picture him, just kind of entering in, walking in our disobedience to get us. By his spirit, to give us the ears to hear, the eyes to see. A renewed heart, a renewed mind. One that was dead, but is now alive. Removing that heart of stone, replacing it with a heart of flesh. But here's the thing with that. It required a sacrifice. God is just. And disobedience requires punishment. And that's what it took to turn us around. To give us those ears to hear. We had to be vindicated Declared innocent in order for the holy God, the third person, the, 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 the spirit, to enter in. If we had not been declared innocent, and the holy God, the holy God was unable to enter in because we were, we were still just dripping on our sin, dead to him. Christ died, punishment paid for, spirit enters in, declares us free, vindicates us, in love Christ entered into our mess. Jesus, the servant of the Lord, offered his back to those who strike. He hid not his face from disgrace and spitting to get us back. The spitting we see in Mark 15, Matthew 27 especially, we see what we're reading in Isaiah played out in real time. You read the Gospels, and you read His Passion Week, and you realize, and you 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 read you, you read that with this story underneath that story, and you see how this was propelling us forward to that redemption, that moment of redemption when Christ died for us. But then He was raised; He is vindicated; He is exalted. That's why He can say in those verses, "Who, who will call me guilty?" Who will contend with me? No one. The Lord God has risen him and has declared him innocent and righteous. And the same is true for you and the same is true for me if we are in Christ. Paul writes, For those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation. There is, therefore, now no condemnation. For who? For those who are in Christ. Just as Christ was declared vindicated, innocent, though he died the death of one who had uh, been disobedient, everyone claiming he, was, he had sinned, he's declared righteous, and for those of us in him, the same is true for us. There are all kinds of things we do, all kinds of things we think, all kinds of things we, we say, even things that we don't do that we should, that leaves us feeling condemned, leaves us feeling ashamed. Uh, leaves us feeling cast aside and disgraced. That might be you this morning. That might not be you this morning. But that might be some of us. We sit at the feet day after day, morning by morning. We sit at the feet of all kinds of other teachers, don't we? Trying to become like them. Seeking their light to illumine our darkness. Certain celebrities, comedians possibly. That's kind of my thing, listening to comedians and being like, oh, I want to have his worldview. Certain authors, certain musicians, certain fashion critics, certain designers, certain political, political thinkers, certain social commentators, all these other voices that we listen to. And some of it is helpful, sure. I'm not saying don't listen to any of those things, but be aware of who you're being discipled by. I guess is my point, because we're all being discipled by someone, some thought. Be aware of it. And never, 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 never supplant with that with the Lord God. What do we do, though, Like when, when, we, when we're hearing those voices? To look on the back wall, to turn, turn our desks back around. Uh, to see whatever voice is back there. Oftentimes, we do look. I mean, we do. Uh, We turn our attention away from the Lord, and momentarily, we become a disciple to something else. While we may have our attention elsewhere for a moment, in the end, all that will become is a garment eaten up by moths. The promise, though, is that through what's called sanctification, we will die more and more to sin. In other words, we'll die more and more to that desire to look on the back wall and we will live more and more unto Christ, live more and more more unto righteousness as our confession states. In other words, our desire to look at the back wall will decrease and our desire to sit at the the feet of the Lord God will increase. I mentioned earlier that um, other times that Jesus speaks in Isaiah, there's been this call to sing in response to what he said, but here, time, here it's different. And so I'm going to, let me conclude with this. This time it's different. There's not a call to sing here. There's an exhortation, sort of a, a, state, a sobering statement, a call out to us. And so let's look at this real quick. Verses 10 and 11. Who among you fears the Lord? So the servant has spoken. And then, and then we conclude here, um, and I believe different ways to interpret this, but I think this is now Isaiah speaking again. And he's saying this to Israel he's in, through the Spirit. We are receiving this as well. So I'm compelled to ask this question to you, Grace Mills River. Who among you fears the Lord? Who among you obeys the voice of his servant? If you are sitting there and you're like, oh man, not me, Uh, don't. Remember, you're not condemned in that. Might you be compelled to spend more time in the Word and pray? I would hope. We all need that. But don't do it in a condemned heart, don't feel condemned by that. You're set free. And yet, now is this invitation to spend time on the word, listening to this. Who among you fears the Lord, obeys the voice of the servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. If you are here this morning, I don't know all of you. I don't know all your spiritual paths and journeys, where you are with Jesus this morning. I don't know. But if you are sitting there and you're like, you know what? I really do feel like I'm walking in darkness. I don't, I don't know what's going on. If you feel like you're walking, trying to walk by the light of your own torch, um, please hear this invitation to to come into the light, a light that's offered to you by God himself through his son, Jesus, empowered by the Spirit. This This is an invitation to you. Who among you fears the Lord? Who among you obeys the voice of a servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light... Trust in the name of the Lord. And, I'll, and let me just close with this. Uh, this will be the last thing. We have a natural desire within us, especially here in the West, to rely on our own knowledge and our own wisdom, right, as we go through, through our lives, lighting our way in our darkness. This rugged individualism uh, is like baked into us. Uh, I'm going to make it, it was like Sinatra, right? I did it my way. And we just kind of glor, glorify that. But that's not the way of the cross. Uh, Verse 11 warns us that when we walk by the light of our own torches, it'll be a bad end for us. We'll end in torment. That will not sustain us. And that certainly will not, by what it implies, get us back into a right relationship with Jesus. Coming in face-to-face with Jesus means laying your torches down, and standing and bathing in the light from our Lord. And so that's the invitation as well. Identify those torches, lay them down. And by our spirit, let's turn our desks around and listen to the words of the giver of life. Listen to Jesus, God's servant. Be in his word, reading, praying through, reflecting this. Listening to Jesus, who is the only one who will sustain the weary, verse 4, and in whom is the only one in which we'll find the forgiveness of sins. Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all who who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. There again is verse 4, and so that's our invitation. Let's go to him. Lay down those burdens. Enter into that rest. He is the one, because of his obedience, who gives us words to sustain us. He gives us the spirit to sustain us. Let me pray for us. Jesus, it is, um, it is a somber end. Uh, this passage, the way, the way it ends with this, this question for reflection. And so I pray that, that, that our hearts will be examined where there needs to be repentance father in your love lead us to repent knowing that we are not condemned you're just wanting something more for us i pray for those who might still right now uh, not uh, profess a faith in you jesus i pray for those who feel they're still walking in the light of their their own torches or simply just walking in darkness, move in them, stir within them this longing to lay down their torches, to enter into rest, to come home into a restored relationship with you, our Father, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.